might just see how far the Scottish Hammer can drill this <laughs> thing. Right. Inside the 10 yard line. Inside the 10, baby. You know, to go from people not really taking you seriously uh, to being player of the month. Uh, it's, uh, I'm very grateful for what happened, for receiving that. And I'm honored. Uh, I don't know, I never really thought about anybody thinking I was a nobody. Um, I was just going out there and punting the ball and doing good things for both people and the punt team and the team. You know, it's a te- I'm, I think about the team more than anything, so just trying to get fair catches and flip the field and inside the 20 and help the defense out. Talking Cleveland Browns football with the best fans in all of SB Nation. Now, here's your host, my dad, Delonious Seven. Sunday Morning Post. A very merry football eve to you and yours from Dogs by Nature. I am your host, Thelonious7, and you are listening to the Sunday Morning Post on Dogs by Nature. Ahead on this episode of the Sunday Morning Post, we're going to wrap the three main Brown stories for this week. We are also going to focus on five non-Cleveland Browns football games that we will have a close eye on for Sunday. We're also going to have a little bit of local color leading into the game on Monday night, uh, chatting with a couple of local San Franciscan fans who do a show called The Muffed Podcast. The stockings are hung by the chimney with care as this Sunday morning post gets you ready for game day and Monday night. So in the words of the great engraven vids, let's get into it. Story number one this week is the zombie carcass of a play calling controversy story from last week. The question, of course, is did Freddie Kitchens steal back the reins from Todd Monken in some way or shape or form? I mean, I know Kitchens was always calling the plays, but it seemed like there was some kind of friction on some level for some people in the media. Yeah. So much like last week's story, this is not a real story to me, you know, and and in some ways winning takes a lot of the sting from this story. But that hasn't stopped media members from trying to make a story anyway. Um, written a lot, talked about a lot this week that, you know, Freddie took back his offense uh, this past week. And, you know, we've never really known exactly who does what or what kind of input everybody has. But the inference always, you know, seems to be that maybe you were way more involved in the first three weeks and then, you know, Freddie sort of took back his offense this past week. Is that a misconception? Um, I'm not going to get into any of that. I don't. I don't see how that would be. I don't. I don't know where that comment would come from, considering that um, it's been the Cleveland Browns' offense every week. So I don't know where that perception would come from, considering he's been calling it and we've been doing it collectively as an offense. So um, I don't really know how to respond to that because I don't. I don't see it any different, other than are there things that each week that uh, you know, Freddie is, or all of us are emphasizing more than others. Sure, and are there, there are there things that that in the end, sure, Freddie's calling it. I mean, and that, and that he has to make those final decisions. Sure. Monkin provides a good answer to a pretty bad question, right? Uh, Freddie Kitchens has made no bones about being the guy calling the plays all along. Uh, it's clear that this offense is a work in progress. 
this question just seems like it's trying to divvy up credit and maybe be a gossipy way to stir up some controversy. And it's that same spirit that guides our second story for this week. And it's a hot story that has this narrative that kind of took off when a famous Baker hater declared that Chubb was our guy. (laughs) Yeah, the question that the Baker hater was asking was, is Nick Chubb better than Baker Mayfield? Now, I want to ignore the part of that story that's hate. So for me, that part isn't important. But what's interesting to me is in the last couple of weeks, as I was doing the top five players on offense and defense, I was noting that Nick Chubb is the most consistent. He's the best player on this Browns offense. And I had a feeling that something wasn't right with that. But then I started thinking about it, right? So on this entire team, there are three players that stand out that when you look at them on on tape, when you watch the games, right? These three players seem completely unfair for the other team. The first one is obvious. You want to be the defensive player of the year. You want to be the best player on the field. Miles Garrett, that guy clearly isn't fair to the league. And additionally, Odell Beckham Jr., also a matchup nightmare one-on-one. Just listen to what Coach Kyle Shanahan has to say about Odell Beckham. I mean, Odell's a freak and the way he can move in his hands, and people do not get how tough and good of a football player Odell is also. I mean, he is physical and competes his tail off in the run game and the pass game. Yeah, Odo Beckham Jr. and Miles Garrett are definitely unfair players for the opposition to deal with. But I think to that list, you now have to include Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb is a player that defensive coordinators have got to pay attention to. It's the more you watch, the more there is to like about this guy. It's the lateral agility, it's the power, it's the vision, it's the patience. And on top of that, it's the speed. All of these things put together make this guy nearly impossible to deal with for an opposition over the course of an entire game. I think there might be one other player in the entire league that could even come close to approaching what Nick Chubb can give you from the running back position, and that's Ezekiel Elliott. It's Ezekiel Elliott and Nick Chubb, and that's that's it. If you ask who the top five players were in Cowboy Country, There's no question people would say first place Ezekiel Elliott more often than not. I don't think that's a problem. I think it's not a problem when the second player is Dak Prescott, or in this case, the second player is Baker Mayfield, and he's doing a lot to contribute. But even so, I think that having an unselfish team first guy like Nick Chubb outshining a quarterback who throws for 300 yards that's something that should absolutely terrify the league. Speaking of terrifying the league, our third story is a story that seems to be underreported. But this story isn't so much of a story as it is a name. A name of one guy, and that guy is Steve Wilkes. That guy, Steve Wilkes. Let's be clear, Steve Wilkes has got some toys. You want to be a defensive player of the year. You want to be the best player on the field. Reyes, first play, first sack. Miles Garrett delivered another big hit to shake it loose. Did he 
trouble and down he goes. Miles Garrett. Yes, he has Miles Garrett. He has that powerful defensive line. He has Joe Schobert. He's got a lot to work with. But some of the pieces of that defense have been, I mean, a lot of the pieces of those de that defense have been out. But even as those pieces have been out of the games, this team has gotten better on defense week after week after week. Yes, he's got some horses, but Steve Wilkes has been a murderer of a defensive coordinator thus far this year. And make no mistake, Steve Wilkes has been tested early and often this year. Look what he did to McVay. Look what he did to the quote-unquote number one offense in the NFL. And this week is another extreme challenge. To get a little insight on what Wilkes might be up against, we reached out to a couple of San Francisco football fans. Hey guys, uh, we're the Muff Podcast. Uh, I'm Lemeter and... My name's Buzz. I definitely appreciate the contributions of Lemeter and Buzz. They're true 49ers fans, and they had this to say about what the Browns defense is going to be up against on Monday night. Very aggressive, you know, they got Miles Garrett, they have a, they have a very good D-line. That's, yeah. you know, that's just how they are. And they have a very good linebacker. Uh, Joe Schobert, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. <clears throat> These guys are going to be rushing in. So Shanahan can kind of disguise some runs and, uh, you know, get, catch him off guard in the beginning. Then I can set up, set up the play action, and we're going to be running the bootlegs, which is going to be even better because then you're going to, you know, as we saw before, Marquis Goodwin had that one wide open mm -hmm. touchdown, and we've seen those plays where George Kittle is just wide open. That's just the, that's just how the Shanahan um, playbook works, and I think this is going to work perfectly against um, Cleveland because they're a very aggressive defense up front. If the 2014 season meant anything, we know Kyle Shanahan absolutely knows how to throw off a defense. Wilkes is going to have his hands full this week. He's got a lot to work with, but how is he going to slow down Jimmy G and his boys? And I looked for a little bit of insight to this, and I didn't really get any because I think, heads up, this challenge is going to be met head-on in a unique way that's patterned to what will be effective in this game for this opponent. This guy has learned some hard lessons in Arizona, but this guy is back and he's learning how to use his pieces in very dynamic ways and he's quickly proving his worth to the organization. The defense is not about just absorbing blows. It's about putting this team in position to counter. Last week he did it on the road with the Ravens. Let's see what happens this Monday night. Okay guys, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Sunday Morning Post. I'm your host, Thelonious7, on Dogs by Nature. It's time for the Focus on 5. Normally, the Focus on 5, the fifth game is the Browns game. But for today, we're going to focus on five other games, and maybe tomorrow we'll do a little something special to celebrate the holiday then. But up first on your Focus on 5... We look at the team to the southeast of southeastern Indiana. The Bengals are taking on the Titans this week. Now, earlier this year, I had proclaimed that the Bengals were not a doormat. I'm accepting any evidence <laughs> that support my claim. I don't know. What do you think, Buzz? 
the Bengals. I mean, the Bengals. They're they're you know they're, I don't think they're a bad team. Especially the offense. Adrian Green's gonna come back. Tyler Boyd is good. Joe Mixon is good. I think it's just their old line hasn't been very good, and for that reason, Andy Dalton has looked bad. And yeah. I think Zach Taylor's a good coach. He's an offensive guy, kind of like Shanahan. Mm-hmm. So if he can, once he gets a scheme, you know, in place, and the Shanahan scheme kind of requires you need a little bit of time in the pocket. Yeah. It's not like you know you're catching it right away, throwing it. You need a little bit of time to read, yeah. you know, to re- read the defense. I think you can't do that with, with, yeah. with the old line exactly. So there's a little hope that Northern Kentucky might not be the doormat of the league. You know, increasingly, I'm beginning to see this as a league of haves and have-nots. And make no mistake, this Sunday is going to be a battle between two of the have-nots in terms of their win columns. The Arizona Cardinals will fly east to take on the Bengals in what could be their last best chance to get off the snide. And even after that performance at Ketchup Field, they're still a three-point favorite in this game. Now, uh, as much as I like the Bengals, I think we're going to have to go with the Cardinals getting their first victory in this one. But low-key, I'm crossing my fingers that the Queen City can get its team out of the doormat status. Our second game in the Focus on 5 is going to be an absolute laugher. The Franken team of Bill Belichick is going to take on the... Ooh, man, I haven't had a chance to do this yet. They had to take on the D.C. football team. The Patriots are traveling the federal excrement field, and um, they're only getting 15 points in this game. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, 15 points is just not enough for this game. If I'm a betting person, and I'm really not much of a betting person, but if I was, I'm running to my bookie with this one. But once again, I want to reiterate. Last week, my record was 3-2, and two, so take it for what it's worth, but this game just looks absolutely unfair to me. Now, the third game in our Focus on 5 that we're keeping a close eye on is features a team which almost dethroned the New England Patriots in last week's game. Unfortunately, a hit that was very vicious was delivered against Josh Allen that swung the balance in that game. This week, the Bills are traveling to Nashville and they will be without Josh Allen who remains in the concussion protocol. The Titans are three-point favorites, but that would require the Titans actually being able to score three points. And that's not a foregone conclusion given the strength of the Bills' defense. At the same time, with Tennessee at home, I I gotta think that they get it done. Okay, so we're through the first games. The next two are much more interesting. In game four on our Focus on Five, we turn to the Kansas City Chiefs and the Indianapolis Colts. That game is going to be a Sunday night affair, but the Chiefs are 11-point favorites. What to do with a game like this? Even though Detroit was a tough game, Patrick Mahomes is still on another level. I looked back to see if there was a penalty, and uh, I, I saw that I had the room to run, and I could probably get the first down, but I didn't want to run like 50 yards if I was going to get called back and have to run another play. So I kind of just looked back to see if there was a penalty, realized there wasn't one, so I just kind of took off. It all just seems so easy for Patrick Mahomes. 
think for that reason, with him being in Arrowhead Stadium, and even though we had a tough game the last time they were there, I'm still going to go with Patrick Mahomes to cover this spread. 11 points is a lot, but I expect them to win and win handily at home. Now the last game in our focus on five, we're going to spend a little more time getting into. We're going to talk about the Steelers and the Ravens game. The Ravens are traveling to southwestern Pennsylvania to battle that game out at Ketchup Field. The Ravens are a three and a half point favorite on the road, but they're going to be up against a young Mason Rudolph who makes his third start. Clearly the book's still out on this guy, but we asked the guys from the Muff Podcast what they thought about Mason Rudolph's performance as Rudolph started a game against the 49ers a couple of weeks ago. But uh, Mason Rudolph, he, he showed that he has some ability. He's definitely, um, he doesn't he doesn't hold on to the ball long, which is something you see a lot of young quarterbacks do. He, he doesn't panic. Yeah, so that is true. He's very calm. He tries to go out of the pocket, but the 49ers D-line was just totally collapsed. Through containing him. But then he did. A, he has the he has a nice arm, and he has yeah. good accuracy, because he, he was putting the ball on yeah, the money. With experience, yeah. he can be a great player. Exactly, yeah, yeah. This week is definitely going to be a test for Rudolph. We'll see him in Cleveland soon enough, though. Well, let's listen to what Lamar Jackson has to say about this matchup. Uh, start in Pittsburgh. Yeah. What are your thoughts about that? I know it's going to be crazy. You know, the, you know, Steelers Nation going to be you know, pumped for the game. You know, we're going to have our flock nation in the building. Um, it's going to be a, a good rival. Rival game. I'm ready. Does it feel like you guys are kind of starting a new chapter in that rivalry? I mean, Roethlisberger's not playing this week. I mean, no, no Suggs. Kind of different set of characters. Well, I haven't looked at it like that, but since you said it, yeah, it's going to be pretty crazy. Um, no Ben. Oh, man, whole new team, new era. So we just got to get ready for it. Harvest just said, you know, the team message was, you're not a Raven until you beat the Steelers. <laughs> I ain't paying attention to that, man. <laughs> Well, actually, um, last year we did. You know, um, Flacco was the quarterback, but we were part of the team, so definitely we did it last year. So I, I say I, I beat the Steelers already. <laughs> yeah, I say that. Yeah. How do you sum up the rivalry? Oh man, it's it's physical, um, physical game. Um, everyone after each other. Uh, I don't know, man. I just can't wait to play performing it. Don't get me wrong. I'm still scared of Lamar Jackson. That guy is still a serious player. But he's slipping when he called his fans the Flock Nation. Man, what is that? I don't think he's going to be slipping when it comes to the game on Sunday. I think that the Flock Nation will be only too happy to claim a victory on the road in southwestern Pennsylvania. Definitely covering the spread. Well, with that, we're going to wrap up your Sunday morning post. Be sure to tune in Monday morning when I will have John Cahill as well as the guys from the Muff Podcast to help us give this game a proper preview headed into Monday night. Well, you've been listening to the Sunday Morning Post. I am your host, Thelonious7 on Dogs by Nature. Take care, go Browns, and dog check! Sunday Morning Post.